And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. When then is to be, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from who, from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. If you have children like I do, or if you've been on long trips with them, no doubt you've heard them say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? No. <laughs> We're getting there, sweetheart. We're getting there. These words indeed have been heard by many of us far more than we care to hear them. They've echoed indeed too frequently from the back seat and oftentimes from the passenger seat. <laughs> Are we there yet? Taking long trips has a, has a way of raising our anxiousness to get to our destination. And oftentimes it can be more than our nerves can, can bear. And as we saw last week, you might remember that Paul was anxious. He was determined, determined to get to Jerusalem. He had just completed his, his third missionary um, journey, his third missionary trip, and he was ready. He was eager to get back to Jerusalem, back home as it was. It had been a long trip. It had been a long trip, even the journey back home had been long. There were many stops, there were many layovers, and on those layovers you might recall that Paul and his, and his company of men who were with him, they were consistently warned, warned of the danger that awaited them in Jerusalem, warned them of the trial and the trouble that was sure to come their way. And still, you recall, Paul's enthusiasm for getting to Jerusalem did not wane. In fact, on the contrary, I believe it probably increased. With every mile of the way, you can almost hear Paul calling out to the captain, are we there yet? Well, our text this morning, the captain says, yes, Paul, we are here. The trip had been long and at times difficult, and yet they had finally made it. And as great as the trials were on the missionary field, as great as had been the difficulties of the journey, our text this morning reminds us that the grace of getting home is greater still. Greater still. 
great, as our text reminds us, when Paul finally reached Jerusalem again, there were expressions of gratitude. There were evidences of grace. And there were examples of love. Expressions of gratitude. That's how our text begins, isn't it, this morning? Verse 17. When we, speaking of Paul and Luke and all those who were with them, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Whatever, beloved, whatever the warnings had been, whatever the the prophecies had been concerning the troubles and trials that were going to come Paul's way, the Bible says that when he finally set foot into Jerusalem, the brothers were glad to see him. They received him with joy. The brothers and sisters in Jerusalem had long waited and anticipated the return of Paul. And when Paul came into Jerusalem, the Bible says that they were received with thanksgiving. They were thankful. Paul and the others had been away for quite some time. And while The church in Jerusalem and the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem had no doubt received reports of their whereabouts and no doubt had received the reports of the happenings and the doings when they finally set their eyes once again on the beloved apostle. The Bible says they were rejoicing. Their hearts were made glad. They were full of joy and thanksgiving. They were thankful. They were thankful to see their brother. They were thankful. You know, the fellowship of the saints is always a thankful one, beloved. I mean, the the church should be a fellowship that is always filled with expressions of gratitude. If we are not doing anything else when we come together, somebody ought to be saying, thank you. Some of you have it in your homes, no doubt. I've been in a few of your homes and I've seen it. These these plaques or or these pictures on the wall that, that says house rules. House rules. You have them. Or things like this says that in our home, we do sorry. In our home, we do funny. In our home, we do mistakes. In our homes, we do forgiveness. In our home, we do loud well. In our home, we do thank you. One of the rules of the church is that we do thank you. We do thank you, beloved. A thankless church or a thankless Christian is an oxymoron. Should not exist. Should not be possible. In the church of Jesus Christ, we do thank you. Thank you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 The Bible says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, thankfulness in your heart. In other words, beloved, you can just write it across the front of the door as people are coming in. The rules, East Point Church rules. Maybe that's what we ought to do, Pastor Phil. We ought to get some signs that says right there as people come in, here are the rules. 
East Point Church rule. At East Point Church, we do forgiveness. At East Point Church, we do mercy. At East Point Church, we do worship. At East Point Church, we do singing, and we do it loud. At East Point Church, we do preaching, and sometimes we do that loud. At East Point Church, we do thank you. We do thanksgiving. And one of the things that we should be most thankful for is one another. One another. The beloved, the fellowship of like-minded and like-hearted Christians is like nothing in this world. It is a blessing invaluable. To see, to see those who love the Lord coming our way knowing that you love the Lord like I love the Lord is a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. That's why they were glad. They were glad to see Paul. They were glad to see Luke. They were glad to see others because this is the nature of true fellowship. You are genuinely glad to see each other. And most of us, beloved, we're honest, we don't get to see each other through the week. We busy our lives and we move in different and various circles and therefore we don't get to see each other during the week. And therefore, when the people of God come together for the purpose of worshiping God and rehearsing who God is and what God has done, it should be a time of thanksgiving. Oh, I thank God. I get to see you one more time. Beloved, it is good to see the saints. It is good to see the saints. It is good to watch them walking in. Wounded, I know where you've been this week. Wounded. I see some walk in and they're they're broken. I see some walk in and they're downcast. The world and around them have beat them up and yet they're still walking in. What a joy. You imagine when they saw Paul, they knew that he'd been beaten. They knew that he'd been shipwrecked. They knew what he had gone through. And here he was still coming to Jerusalem. Good. Y'all to do your heart good to see the saints. Because you know it hasn't been easy. And here they are. It fills my heart with joy, beloved, to see the saints. That's why I say, like the psalmist says in Psalm 122 and 1, I was glad. When they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was was glad. I was glad because I got to worship God. I I was glad because we get to sing the songs of Zion. I'm glad because we get to pray the prayers of faith. I'm glad because we get to hear the word of God read. And we get to hear the word of God preached. I'm glad because we get to receive, once again, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. But all of that, beloved, is made all the more precious because I don't do it by myself. Have you here with me? And that makes my This is the blessing, beloved. This this is why church is necessary. I can sit at home and sing a song. I can go into my prayer closet and pray. 
I can get some wine and some bread and I pray over it and say, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and receive it unto myself. But you know what I can't do? I can't enjoy the communion of the saints. I can't enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit. That's why church is necessary. God did not create us and recreate us by ourselves. We come together for the joy and thanksgiving that comes from being in fellowship together. And this is why they rejoice. They got to see Paul and Luke one more time. One more time. And not only were they thankful for the presence of Paul and Luke and the others, beloved, but they were also thankful for the power of God. In Psalm 126, verse 3, I do believe it says that God has done great things for us. And we are glad. Did you hear that? God has done great things for us and we are glad. They were not only glad because of the presence of Paul and the presence of Luke and the others, but they were also glad because of the power of God in them and through them. Which meant they not only saw and the expressions of gratitude, but they listened and they heard the evidences of God's grace. The Bible says that they spent an entire day catching up in this renewed fellowship. And then the next day, the Bible says, they met with James and all the elders in the church of Jerusalem. And notice what it says in verse 19. And after greeting them, he, Paul, related one by one the things that God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. You see that? They were not only glad to see Paul, but they were saying, as the psalmist says, God has done great things among us. We are glad because there was not only these, these expressions of gratitude, but there was evidences of grace in their midst. And when Paul met with James and the elders in Jerusalem, you know what the conversation was about? The conversation was about the goodness of God. The goodness of God. And they relayed to James and the elders what God had done one by one. Step by step they rehearsed all the evidences of God's mercy and grace to them. Step by step. One by one. Reminds me of the old hymn, Alan, Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. Yes, beloved, don't get it, don't get it wrong. Don't mistake the road to Jerusalem had been long. Yes, while they were on the mission field, there was trial and there was trouble. Yes, their lives were threatened and many times they were ran out of town. But through it all, Paul rehearsed to the elders in Jerusalem, through it all, God has been good. Through it all, God has been good. And they glorified God. And they glorified God. This, you know, this is, this is kind of Paul's M.O. here. And you shouldn't miss it because it ought to be ours too. This is the M.O. Whenever he's 
Whenever he returns from a mission trip, whenever he turns from ministry and he, he gives a report, you know what the Bible says he does in Acts 14, 27, when he gave a report there, it says, and they declared all that God had done with them. In Acts 15 and 12, and Barnabas and Paul related what signs and wonders God had done through them. God had done. This is not about Paul. This is not about Barnabas. This is not about Luke and about others. It's about what God has done. Every time they got a chance to rehearse the ministry that they had out there amongst the Gentiles, it was a rehearsal of what God has done. Not how many people they convinced to be Christians, but what God had done. Not how many arguments they had won, how many obstacles they had overcome, they rehearsed what God had done. Because, beloved, they were intimately acquainted with the reality that God is real. And God is at work. And every day they were looking for evidences of God's hand upon them. And when it happened, they gave credit to God. How often do you do that? How often do you do that? How often do you get home from work and say, let me tell you what God did today? Could it be the fact that we really don't believe God is at work unless we see something so extraordinary and magnificent that we can't credit it to anything else? The fact of the matter, beloved, if you belong to God, everything that is happening in today, God is working in it and through it for your good, and for his glory. And your conversations could always begin and end. Let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you what God did today. When you do that, the churches that Paul ministered to, the Gentile, predominantly Gentile churches, had issues. They had issues. I mean real issues. He ministered in Corinth. The church in Corinth had significant issues and caused Paul much tribulation dealing with issues of pride and sexual immorality. The churches in Thessalonica had issues dealing with issues of a lack of maturity and subsequent leadership. The church in Philippi was dealing with issues of division and had some bad attitudes. The church in Galatia was dealing with false teachers and false gospels. There are always problems. Always problems to focus on. Always. When I travel and go other places, people always ask me, hey man, how the church doing? And right then, all the issues come to mind. And I said, well, you know, bruh, we are a fellowship of sinners. And we got all the issues that most churches have. We are a sinful people living in a sinful world. But let me tell you what God is doing. Let me rehearse for you the goodness of God. Let me tell you all that God is doing in our remiss. Here's the question, beloved. Do you only see the warts? Or are you moved by his grace? Paul and Luke and the others rehearsed for, the, for, for James and the elders all that God had done. They could have spent all their time complaining. Of all the trouble and all the trial. But the focus was on the things that God was doing. Do you only see the warts or are you moved by the evidences of God's grace? Do you only see problems? Or are you counting blessings? Do 
you only complain? Or are you given over to rejoicing? There is always, always something to complain about. There's always issues. As long as we are sinners living in a sinful world, rubbing up against one another, there are going to be issues. But the question is, are you able to see evidences of God's grace? George Matheson in his song reminded us that there's always a rainbow to trace through the rain. There's always a rainbow to trace through the rain. There is always something, beloved, for which to give God glory. Even in the hardest circumstances, the Christian must know that God has not stopped being good. And he is worthy of praise. That's why, personally, brothers and sisters, I am not a fan of negative people. You can come and complain, and every time you see them, they have a complaint. They got a problem. And yes, let's talk about your problem, but don't ever let the conversation end there. Tell me something good. Tell me something about God's goodness. Tell me something about his mercy. Tell me something about his grace. He hasn't abandoned you. Tell me what God. That's what Paul says to the Philippians, chapter 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, finally, after everything else, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, you think about these things. You talk about these things. You give a report on these things. Count your blessings, the songwriter says. Name them one by one, and you will be surprised at what the Lord has done. That's what the apostle did. And the Bible says right there, one by one, they retold goodness of God. As James and the elders rejoice. 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 And even in the midst of all that, they still had issues. <laughs> That's the nature of the church, beloved. That's the nature of the church. We are sinful people living in a sinful world. We're given over to selfishness. We want our own ways and our own agendas. We want things done our way no matter what anybody else is thinking. And so even when the pastor gets up and says, rejoice, look at what God has done. Before he gets to the back door, somebody is coming up with a problem. Why not this pastor? Why are we not doing this? That's fine. I ain't mad at you. Because Paul wasn't mad. Because what we see here in the example of love, this is what love does. This is what love does. Even after reporting the evidences of God's grace and rejoicing, in the mercy of God to the Gentiles. You know what happened? James immediately says, thank you, Paul. That's great. That's awesome. Yes, God is good. Now we got a problem. We've been hearing reports, Paul. And there's some people around Jerusalem, these brothers and sisters, and you know this is a big church. I'm talking thousands upon thousands, Paul. And I'm getting reports. Now, I don't necessarily believe in Paul. But they out there. 
And I just thought it would be good for you to know it. They're out there. We got a problem. And it's a problem, beloved, that only love can solve. Here's the problem. The Jerusalem church, unlike the churches that Paul had been ministering to in Ephesus and and, and Corinth and Galatia and Philippi and Thessalonica and all those other places, unlike those churches, the church in Jerusalem was primarily a Jewish church. Thousands of thousands of people gathered in these churches. And these Jews had become Christians, and yet even as Christians, they were still holding on. They were still holding fast to some Jewish customs and traditions, observing the the feast days and the holidays, engaging in some of the ceremonial rituals and even taking vows and engaging in the prayers. And Paul was quite familiar with this because this is how Paul grew up. But having become a Christian and having received the call of God to go minister to the Gentiles, Paul had lived and labored among the Gentiles for years. Years. And had not been in the habit of practicing any of these Jewish customs. And in fact, had come to understand that they had no import for the Christian because now we have Christ. It means nothing. Those vows, those rituals, those traditions. Because now we have Jesus. Because the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 reminds us, doesn't it, that those things were but shadows. They were but shadows, foreshadowing the coming of Christ. And now that we have the full revelation of the Son, the shadows are no more. Paul understood this. And yet, unfortunately, many of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem did not. Therefore, they were making accusations against the Apostle Paul, and they made him to the leadership in Jerusalem. They were saying that Paul is out there teaching, teaching, not only teaching the Gentiles that they don't have to follow after the law of Moses, but he is also telling Jews who come to Christ that they don't have to circumcise their children, and they can just ignore Jewish customs. They can eat whatever they want to eat on whatever day they want to eat it. And they just couldn't imagine. They couldn't fathom this. Paul was being too loose with the issues of family and with the issues of the food, and the Jews weren't having it. The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were not having it. Now, Beloved, Paul did indeed teach the Gentiles and probably some Jews too that neither circumcision, as he says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is going to save you. It is of no significant value to your salvation and your standing with God. However, there were those in Jerusalem and probably elsewhere who were taking some of Paul's um, teaching and they were misapplying it, falsely accusing him, disseminating false information. And James understood this. He understood this because he knew he knew Paul. He knew Paul was not teaching the Jews. He's not teaching the Jews. Not to circumcise their children. Circumcision didn't mean a thing to Paul. You can circumcise your child if you want to. What does that matter? But they were teaching. They were accusing Paul of teaching. 
telling the Jews not to circumcise their children. And that was blatantly wrong. And so when Paul gets back to Jerusalem, there is a serious potential here, beloved, for division and for the church to split once again and have totally Jewish church and totally Gentile church and the two never meet. We saw that potential, didn't we, in Acts chapter 6. And by God's grace, they were able to overcome it in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We see it again here in Acts 21. There is great potential for the splitting of the church. In order to avoid this, James makes a huge request of Paul. This is a big ask, beloved. James essentially asks Paul if he would, while in Jerusalem, live with Jews. Contrary almost to what he would have told the Galatian church. James says, Paul, for the sake of unity, for the sake of the church of Christ, would you please live like a Jew while you're in Jerusalem? And not only that, beloved, but here's the hard part too, to let others see you do it. Not in private, Paul. In public. Let others see you take a Nazarite vow. Let others see you engage in the purification rites. Let others see you pay for others to do the same. Beloved, this was a big ask. Because you remember in Philippians chapter 3, Paul had determined that this whole Jewish thing was of no value to him. He counted all that as loss for the excellency of knowing Christ. As far as Paul was concerned, the only thing that mattered was Jesus. Jesus. That's it. This was a big ask. And he didn't have to do it, beloved. Don't think he had to do it. James could not make Paul do this. No matter how strong he had, Paul did not have to do it. But he did. Why? He did it for love, beloved. He did it for love. Tina Turner who asked the question, didn't she? What love, what's love got to do with it? Here Paul will say everything. 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 Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, remember, he would tell us what love is. Here in Acts chapter 21, he showed us. He walks out what he teaches to the Corinthians. He walks it out because love is patient. That's what love is, patient. And Paul not only listened to James, I'm sure he's sticking to his mind. Have you lost your mind? Have you not learned? Do you not understand? What have you been teaching here in this church? He listened patiently to James, but he not only listened, he graciously acquiesced to his request. Because Paul was willing to wait for his brothers and sisters to get better understanding. That's what love does. Love is patient. Love waits. Love 
ways. He didn't tell James to stop. He didn't tell James to shut up. He didn't tell James, sit down and let me teach you the right way. He doesn't deal with them according to their ignorance because he is willing to be long-suffering with his brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because, beloved, love doesn't have to be right right now. Doesn't have to be right right now. Love is patient. Love is willing to give you time to come to a better and fuller understanding of things and to walk with you in it. Isn't that how God does us, beloved? Isn't that the nature of the gospel, really? When you really understand the gospel, the Bible says in Psalms 103, in verse 8, that God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. Just think if God dealt with you according to your sins the moment you committed them. Every time. Right there. But it says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That's what love is. Love is patient because love is compassionate. But that reminds us then also, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that love is kind. And this is Paul. Oh, he's being kind. A lot more kind than most of us would be. He pushed the wishes of James and the unity of the church above his own. Because love doesn't insist on its own way. But looks to serve others. Paul does not grow angry at these accusations. This, the Bible doesn't tell us he does. The Bible doesn't tell us that he grew frustrated at James' request or the request of others. Why? Because there is a compassion for his brothers and sisters who still have much to learn. And rather than beat them over the head with truth, Paul is willing to walk them through it. walk with you through this. Why? Because not only is love patient and not only is love kind, but love is self-sacrificing. Love sacrifices self. So not only did Paul put himself out there and engage in these rituals that he knew were meaningless. He knew they were empty. He knew they meant nothing. He knew that as far as God was concerned, they meant and held no significance. He paid for others to fulfill their obligations also. Now, beloved, don't think Paul had a lot of money. Paul wasn't rich. Remember when he was out on the missionary journeys, the Bible says that he labored with his own hands. And every money that he had, he had because he worked for it. And these sacrifices that had to be made after the Nazarite vow so it could be complete, these offerings, they were not inexpensive. That's why these brothers couldn't afford it. They had taken this vow and had no money to complete the vow. And James says, I know four brothers who can't complete their vow, Paul. If it became known that you paid for them to finish their obligation, no one could accuse you of teaching against. Jewish custom. 
And Paul not only gave of of himself and his time, but he gave of his resources. He paid for these brothers who could not pay for themselves because love is willing to sacrifice itself for the good and encouragement of others. This is what love is, friends. This is what love is. It's self-sacrifice. Really. That's what biblical love is. Self-sacrifice. Now, I'm going to beg your pardon this morning. Okay, but I want to talk to the husbands here this morning. If you're a husband and you love your wife, let me see you raise your hand. If you're a husband and you love your wife, let me see you raise your hand. Put them down. If you're a husband, if you are a father, and you love your children, let me see you raise your hand. If you love your children, let me see you raise your hand. All right, you can put them down. If you love your wife and you have children, you love your children, and you would be willing to die for them. You would be willing to take a bullet for them, to stand between them and any intruder or attacker. If you are willing to do that, raise your hand. are willing to die for your wife and for your children, then why don't you? Why don't you? I'm not talking about taking a bullet. I'm talking about denying yourself. I'm talking about dying to your own sinful lusts and your own sinful pleasures. I'm talking about denying and dying to yourself for the sake of those you say you love. Don't tell me you love your wife and your children and would take a bullet for them, but you are selfish and engaged in your own lustful, selfish behaviors. That's what the Bible means when it says dying. Not talking about taking a bullet to the head. That may happen, but I doubt it. But I tell you what is going to happen. Your own sinful flesh is going to rise up every day. And you're going to have to say, I die to that. Because I love my wife. And I love my kids. That's what love is. It's dying to self. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. Every day I wake up, it's another chance to die for the sake of those that I say I love. Because my life is not my own. I live because Christ lived. And the life that I now live, I live in him. My life is not my own. That's love. love. Now, 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 wives, Don't you, don't you go home and all of a sudden he mess up and he says, I see you not dying. Pastor said you need to die. I know how it works. Pastor said you need to die and you're not dying today, Roy. And if you love your husband, you will die to that temptation. Because Peter tells us that that wife who loves her husband wins her husband with her Quiet submission. 
That's what love is. That's what love is. That's what drove Paul. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 14, he says, the love of Christ compels me. That's my motivation. Every day it is because I love Jesus. That's why I want to do it. Here's the question, beloved. You read a passage like this and you've got to ask yourself, Paul, did you, ju- did you give too much? I mean, you might be here making too many allowances, Paul. Can the gospel be at stake here, Paul? I read that and maybe so, beloved. You could look at that and say, Paul, we, I think you might have went too far. But then again, I'm reminded that if you're going to err, you need to err on the side of love. If you're going to be wrong in your evaluation and estimation of what needs to happen, let us be wrong pursuing grace. If you're going to give too much, let us give too much pursuing the love of God and the gospel of Jesus. Someone asked the question, you know, what is my motivation? Why, why am I doing this? With all due respect to my brother, Trip Lee, we don't do it for the turnip. We do it for the love. That's why we do it. We do it for the love of Christ. We do it for the love of our brothers and sisters. We do it for the love of each other. And Paul, beloved, was willing to do all he could for the love and the unity of the church and for the glory of God. What about you? I have to ask myself this morning, what about me? What is my motivation? Is it the love of God? It needs being.